Uh, so, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Right, Let's uh, do the thing. Hey, oh, nice lip smack, Kai. Hey, everybody, I'm Kai Rizdo. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. <laughs> Sorry, that's <laughs> not on purpose. As one does. I'm Kimberly <laughs> Adams. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this Wednesday. Happy Hump Day. It is uh, September 27th. There was a woman who was the director of Marketplace many years ago. Her name is Jane Lindholm. She is now or was for a very long time in Vermont. And when she used to direct this program, which was early in my hosting career here, she used to make me redo things if she heard teeth clicks like my teeth would be come together, and she would say, "No, no, no! I heard a teeth click." And I was, I was too young and raw in this job to say, "Jane, cut it out." <laughs> but anyway, paper shuffles what it used to always oh, get know. me. And I, I had an engine. There was an engineer at marketplace who used to yell at me because this is a true story. Because my shirt was too loud. Chris Clark, he said, never wear that I shirt again. I have had that same complaint. Yep. I, I had a shirt that I had to stop wearing when I was, like, tracking because right. everyone complained about how much noise uh, it made. I know. And you're like, come on, man. Anyway. You know, the things we do for I, our careers, I man. I know. I know. <laughs> All right. What's your oh, news? Oh, my goodness. Okay. So mine is a headline and then a little bit of a, of a commentary, which is not infrequently the way I do the news uh, on this podcast. So there's a story in Bloomberg today which says that SpaceX, run, of course, by Elon Musk, has gotten its first contract from the U.S. Space Force to provide customized satellite communications for the military under the company's new StarShield program, uh, which is about uh, communication services uh, in these satellites, as, as uh, I said. So that's fine, whatever. It's $900 million. It's not a boatload of money, uh, relatively, speak, <laughs> relatively speaking, in the defense budget right. and, and overall, right? right. right? Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Look, SpaceX is a for-profit company. They uh, provide valuable service to the space station and all of that and, and have led the way in the commercialization of space, which fine. But mm-hmm. given what we now know about the way Musk handled Ukraine and Starlink and his. You should say more about that. Okay. I don't think everybody knows. So, uh, what we now know from Walter Isaacson's biography and from a piece in The New Yorker a number of weeks, maybe a month, six weeks ago, whatever it was, is that um, early in the uh, uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, Elon Musk, via his company SpaceX, sent to Ukraine terminals that would let the Ukrainian uh, military forces use the Starlink satellite program, which is which is Musk's uh, SpaceX's satellite program, to provide command control and communications, the classic C3, right? Um, and then it turns out when uh, Ukraine wanted to use that uh, C3 technology to target Russian forces in Crimea, Musk said, no, I'm not going to turn it on. It was already ring-fenced around Crimea, right? They already didn't work mm-hmm. around Crimea. They got an official—SpaceX got an official request from um, uh, uh, the Ukrainians to turn it on to allow them to target Russian forces. Musk said no. And Musk was having conversations with Lloyd Austin— the Secretary of Defense about this. He was having conversations with the Ukrainian government about this. And he was uh, playing a key role in maybe the key geostrategic uh, issue of our day, certainly the past 18 months and probably, you know, for a while. Um, Mm -hmm. 
and and here's why I bring it up. Uh, I bring it up because of this news, but but here's the bigger point. It is to me um, uh, remarkable is the politest possible way I can think of to to do it, so that we don't get the e and Bridget doesn't yell at me. It is remarkable mm. that. Um, a private citizen has this kind of oomph, number one. But number two, that as a defense contractor, he has the ability to use the on-off switch fundamentally. Can you imagine yeah. what would happen if Boeing said to the Pentagon, no, I'm sorry, I'm going to turn off the tracking capability on XYZ machinery or I'm not going to let you use the targeting capability on this very fancy airplane that Lockheed Martin built for you, or whatever. It is incredible to me, and yet the Pentagon, because Musk now has such oomph in in the defense industrial complex, everything the, right. The defense the defense department keeps on going back to him. I mean, I get that they have to, but holy cow, that's a problem. I would be very interested in the details of that contract mm-hmm. and what kind of guardrails they mm-hmm. put in place against it, something like it, that. It, if if they did, if they did, right? If they did, because I mean, what kind of leverage do they have to to right. negotiate? Really, right? right. Um, I mean, short of anyway. you know threatening to nationalize the company or something, which I've seen a couple <laughs> yeah, of op-eds. Right. I've seen a couple of op-eds yeah, calling yeah. for that. Look, um, you know. I, I would I it's would entertain really that conversation. It's not how we do things, but you know. Well, were we were just saying the other day, just because we've done things a certain way doesn't mean that right. we should right. Right. <laughs> start national. Anyway, let's not anyway. go there. Yeah. Anyway, so that's my news. That's my rant. That's where I am. Yes, um, my news is actually a follow up to this conversation we had a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. about retail theft because I saw a story in CNBC this morning. That had, I just want to read you these two headlines, two stories from CNBC. First story uh, that was published Tuesday morning, 10 a.m. Retail theft isn't actually increasing much, major industry study finds. And this is citing a report from the National Retail uh, Security Survey, uh, which comes from the National Retail Federation, which is a big industry group, which says that yes, total retail shrink, which is what they use to describe like losing inventory from theft, Mm -hmm. damage, vendor error, whatever, um, has gone up. It's gone up to $112 billion in 2022, up from $93.9 billion the year before. But that is in line with the increase in sort of sales (laughs) and increase in, um, you know, the inventory that they had. And so this idea that said, Retail shrink climbed in absolute dollars, but when reported as a percentage of sales, as is commonly done, average annual shrink increased to 1.5% up from 1.44% in 2021. The share is largely in line with past years, right? So that's, once again, the headline, retail theft isn't actually increasing much, major industry study finds. Okay, fast forward to today. Uh, headline. No, actually, this was another story on Tuesday. <laughs> Not okay. even today. This was another story yesterday at 3 p.m. So that same day, Target says it will close nine stores in major cities, citing violence and theft. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So scrolling down in this article, um, 
you know, Target announced the store closures the same day that National Retail Federation said that the effect of theft on retailers' bottom line is about the same as it has been for years. Um, it cited that Nordstrom closed its flag- flagship stores in San Francisco and a couple of other locations, citing market dynamics, dynamics mm. rather than crime. And so all of this to say, you have a lot of stores choosing to close locations in cities in downtown areas i will be very curious into the demographic overlap of the areas where these uh stores are Mm -hmm. being closed um citing theft and violence even though overall the numbers line up with traditional numbers relative to sales um some of them are claiming that it's the theft some of them are claiming that it's the market dynamics and we've talked at length about how downtown areas are losing so much business, right? And so that's something worth keeping in mind. Um, It's, you know, in the the article about Target, they're saying, and and, and the other article as well, they were saying it's the increased violence that's coming with some of this theft that is the concern. But as we learned from your guest the other day, you know, we really don't have good data about it. And there was a really good example in the, what, CNBC was reporting about Nordstrom, where they were saying that there was this um, a brazen smash and grab in August at mm-hmm. one of Nordstrom's other locations in L.A. made national headlines. And people asked about this in the earnings call the company had in August. And they said it was disturbing to all of us and losses from theft are at historical highs. But he, the CEO added, theft is included in company guidance and not higher than expected. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm really appreciating all of this additional context to the sort of statements that the companies are making, the viral videos that we're seeing, and the narrative that is literally causing cities and states to change the laws when the situation may not be as bad as retailers are pointing it out to be. Yep. So. Totally. Totally. That's my news. (sighs) All right, Drew. All right, go ahead. I love how we always end up having space stories on the same day. Always, but always. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, my Make Me Smile is a warm and hearty welcome back to Army Lieutenant Frank Rubio, who, after 371 days on the International Space Station, has just completed the longest single space flight ever undertaken by an American His original mission was just supposed to be six months, but due to some technical difficulties with some shuttles and things like that, he got stuck up there much longer and spent more than a year in space. So just a warm welcome back, Lieutenant Rubio, and like glad you had a safe trip home. No joke. Um, Maybe smile. uh, Just because there will be listeners who will know this because they uh, follow space too a little bit uh, as we do. He's lieutenant colonel in the United States Army, which is which is a a different rank. I'm sorry, lieutenant colonel. My bad. Thank you. I'm sorry. No, I totally get it. I totally get it. I I was reading it it wrong. That's all right. It's all good. It's all good. You don't know about I Corps. Right, exactly. I don't yes. know about I Corps or mermaids or any of that jazz. So, you know, whatever. We've all got our Lieutenant areas of Colonel, my bad. No disrespect intended. Lieutenant Colonel. 
Um, a note about uh, the Chinese-American relationship, which is fraught right now at the geostrategic level and also at the economic level. Also, it turns out at the panda level, by the end of next year, we are not going to have any great pandas in this country because all the arrangements and and um, uh, agreements are expiring, which is kind of a bummer. What? I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's uh, this uh, even here in D.C. Yes, 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 yes. Which is really funny because if you not funny, but these zoos—that's why people go. That's why people go. They've made huge infrastructure investments. The public is is excited to go see these animals. Anyway, so. Giant pandas are everywhere at the Washington, D.C. National Zoo. I'm reading this from Bloomberg. Three live in the zoo's $50 million Asia Trail. There are T-shirts, trucker hats, and refrigerator magnets. There's a panda cam. Washington pandas are going away. The zoo's three pandas are set to return to China by December of this year. And Atlanta, San Diego, and Memphis zoos are going to lose their pandas already. They've gone or we'll see them return to China by the end of next year. So you remember when this all started, right? It was panda diplomacy. I would submit, and this article points out, this might be a little bit of reverse panda diplomacy. I'm real sad about yeah, this. Yeah. I love panda cam. Yeah. And like, you know, <laughs> um, one of our, our DC intern, her parents were visiting town and I was like, you have to go see the pandas. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's the thing that you do. <laughs> totally. Totally. Not anymore. Oh, man. Not anymore. So there you go. Uh, There you go. That how is that a smile? Well, you know, I I have I have I have alternated smiles between (laughs) things that make me go huh and things that actually make me smile. It's it's our podcast. We can do what we want. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Well, it is our podcast, but we 100% can't do it on our own. And here comes the hard pivot. Nicely done. No hard nothing. That was graceful and so well executed. My goodness. Thank you. We can't do it without you. We are in one of our fundraising drives. And in addition to the breaking news about pandas, which has just broken my heart, we also are getting ready for, despite my most optimistic outlook, what increasingly looks to be a government shutdown in a couple of days. I uh, was just telling Kai before the show that that is already affecting the ability of me to to reach government officials who have been scrambling, trying to get ready for the shutdown, and they can't work on the policies that I'm trying to cover because they're doing that. And so we're covering the government shutdown. We're covering the pandas. We're going to be covering the presidential election, kind of already are, as well as lots of other things that are relevant to your economy and mine. And, you know, we really try hard to bring you news that's valuable and with context and, you know, actually not generated by AI or made up <laughs> as, as some people like to do. Mm. And so, you know, it's Marketplace. It's Make Me Smart. We're here for you and we're trying to help everybody understand the economy and how politics and everything else affects it. As I say, lots of times, we're one of the very few sources of business and economics journalism that is not behind a paywall. And we really can only do that because of you all. We are looking for 2,000 uh, participants in the fall in the fundraiser this fall. We've heard from 830 of you so far. we got a week left. Marketplace.org slash GiveSmart. Shout out here on the way out to Charles in Arlington, Virginia, who donated over the weekend, told us he has listened to all 1,000 episodes of this podcast. Charles, sir. Thank you. Holy cow. And yes, he's going to be 70 years old or perhaps Happy is by birthday. this point. Happy birthday. Charles. So Marketplace.org slash GiveSmart. Help us out, would you? 
70 years old. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Berg. Seeker Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Today's program was engineered by Checking Yes, Drew Jostat. Our interns, Neela Farshabandi. Ben Talladay and Daniel Ramirez composed our theme music. Our senior producer is Marissa Cabrera. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcast. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. There we go. There we go. I can't believe I got his rank wrong. That's amazing.